everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. It's good to be with you today. So I wanted to talk a little bit about pestilence or pandemics in Bible prophecy, what the Bible says about those things in the end times, what we can expect about them. Um, and that'll be kind of a separate thing. I do want to talk about the COVID-19 or coronavirus situation, which I've been following extremely closely for uh, other reasons, important reasons, but not for Bible prophecy reasons. Spoiler alert, I don't think the coronavirus has anything to do with Bible prophecy, uh, but I do think it's extremely important. And I'll talk about that, and I'll also kind of show some of the reasoning that I don't think it has to do with Bible prophecy, and some of the criteria that we can use when we see a pandemic that might have to do with Bible prophecy, because I do think that there is going to be an end times pandemic, but I don't think this is it, and I'll show you why I don't think that. So starting off with what we know about this virus and why I think it's so important. So, you know, just with the official ideas about the virus, what people are saying that we can possibly glean from the information that China is putting out about the virus and other countries that have been studying the virus, we know it's basically this perfect virus. And part of the reason it's so dangerous is because now they're saying that it has this 24 day or up to 24 days where you uh, of incubation time where you can essentially be asymptomatic, not have symptoms and, you know, pass all the temperature tests or whatever tests. You're not coughing, you're not sneezing, but you're still a super spreader. You're out there spreading this uh, virus to everybody else. 24 days of this is, is an exceedingly long time. The flu, for example, I think is up to like 24 hours uh, of, of that kind of time where you're where you're asymptomatic or whatever and can be spreading it. Uh, there are some diseases that are higher, but 24 days, as far as I know, is, is, is fairly unheard of. And there's some other weird things that are coming out. I've seen speculation that part of people trying to explain why people are, some people are saying that it's longer than 24 days. And, I, and, and they're saying things like, um, maybe people are catching it and then re-catching it. Like the first time it's not bad, but the second time you catch it is when you, you know, die from it. And they're basing this off of a lot of, you know, sort of anecdotal stuff right now. But basically what it seems like to me is people are trying to make sense of this massive time gap uh, that has happened from, uh, you know, when people are getting it and when it's showing up and, and all these like massive deaths in China. And I think that you can actually look at that in the timeline in Wuhan where we're talking about, you know, January, even December that they were uh, noticing this thing. And then now we're here in uh, mid-February where we've got, we've had the, the bodies basically piling up. And obviously, I don't, I don't believe that the, the, the numbers that China is putting out are anywhere close to the true numbers of dead. Uh, there's a lot of evidence, uh, a lot of mostly anecdotal stuff that the body count is, is, is much higher. But even if you took the R naught, which is a, a number that here's an interesting thing. So the R naught is a number of like how fast it can or how communicable it is. I think the flu is like an R naught of one that one person is likely to give it to at least one other person. I watched the, the movie Contagion recently, and everybody in the room gasped when they talked about an R naught of four. It was like unheard of. An R naught of four? Oh my gosh, it's going to take over the world. Well, official numbers for this are saying somewhere between three point something and six point something. Basically, it's highly contagious, and that should be evident by the fact that the numbers are coming out that these medical workers, uh, the numbers are obviously un not 
trustworthy in China, but the medical workers are, are dropping like flies as well. Basically, all that to say, it's this perfect virus, it seems like. It seems like every if you could create a virus and give it every metric that would be the worst possible situation, this is what you would create. I can't imagine it being any worse. And it seems to me that the draconian measures that China is taking, shutting down entire cities, all this stuff that's coming out, if you haven't spent time looking at the videos coming out of China, go on Twitter or whatever, hashtag coronavirus or COVID-19 or something, and just spend a day looking at the videos coming out of China. So first of all, the, the lockdown of the cities. Let's talk about that. So Wuhan is locked down. Wuhan is a city that is absolutely massive. I think it's like, I, I'm going to give you some wrong numbers here, but like three or four times the size of New York City. It's this hugely populated city. So Wuhan is like really locked down to the point where they are welding apartment doors shut. Uh, they are chaining doors of people. They are putting uh, massive barricades. Nobody's getting out of Wuhan anytime soon. So Wuhan is 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 basically a war zone, completely shuttered off from the world. And for a while, the big cities like Shanghai and uh, and Beijing and these other uh, big cities, Shenzhen and, and and Hong Kong, is I think not quite uh, this locked down yet. But the other cities were basically locked down, but not really government ordered, don't go anywhere. But it looks like that's changing too. And they're saying, hey, the big cities are also getting locked down in more military sort of way that uh, that Wuhan was. I'm not exactly sure of the exact measures yet, uh, but it does seem like they're. it's getting worse, not better in terms of the lockdown stuff with the big cities. Now, this is a big deal because, and I know this because some of this work that I do involves getting stuff from China, getting them to make stuff or whatever. And I, I knew that the Chinese New Year was coming up, which was something that I had kind of planned for, right? And then uh, that's like a two-week thing. Everything shuts down in China. And that's one of the big things is that, that China knew about this before Chinese New Year uh, and didn't tell everybody. And everybody went home for Chinese New Year, spreading it all over China. In any case, my point is that China then extended the Chinese New Year another 10 days or something like that. So now China's not ha having worked for, what, 40 days or something like that. And they're not planning to for another month or something just based on the, the, the current situation. The point is that the, the, the bays are filled with tankers. The factories are not working in China. Walmart shelves... You know, the whole system that we work on in America is not some warehouse situation. We replace things and order them from China as soon as they are bought. It's this really efficient system that's that's really reliant on a constant shipping from and production from China. There is no scenario in which less than a month from now, Walmart shelves and Target shelves are empty. Amazon stuff is out of stock. I've already seen the Amazon out of stock thing happening. The, the markets, for, for whatever reason, are not reacting to this yet. They're doing weird things like going up, which makes no sense. Think about this. Apple stock goes up, whatever it was, $12 last week, uh, when they're announcing that Foxconn, the, 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 the factory that makes your AirPods and your iPhones, they're not going to be shipping next quarter. I mean, the, the the quarterly sales are obviously going to be down because they're not going to make anywhere near the amount of... Uh, I think they may have opened up Foxconn briefly, but only like 10% of the workers showed up. I don't even know if they're still there. China tried to open up the factories because they realized that they were basically dealing with an economic Armageddon if they didn't get the factories started. 
And I know I'm rambling here, but there's so much to say. Uh, so they tried to send people back to work and said, go back to work, but nobody came back to work. Uh, and then even when they did come back to work, they would find out, oh, one of this person in this factory has coronavirus. So now you got to quarantine that factory and they can't even go home. They got to stay in that factory. So that was a bad idea. But but their hands are kind of tied. So let's kind of shift gears here. Let me just uh, wrap that up and say we are dealing with a situation where the market has to go down probably this week. I'm recording this Sunday. I can't imagine another week goes by where the markets don't react to this because they we're going to be dealing with a massive, massive supply chain disruption. This whole thing is making me a little bit crazy because it's like, okay, I'm looking at all this stuff. And I had a meeting with myself actually the other day when I, I canceled my, I had a, business thing I had to do in, in out of town. And, and I was before I didn't want to cancel it. It was something I really needed to do. But I was like, well, the meeting was like, OK, this is what I know about this. This this is true. This isn't conspiracy stuff that I know. You know, I went through this list and was like, this means I shouldn't travel. This is what this means. <laughs> and uh, uh, I couldn't trust my news sources because they're all like, you know, not even talking about it for the most part. Anyway, uh, I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm just mainly talking about the economic situation. And here's my other thing about America. So America does not have that many cases reported. I think I haven't checked it uh, today, but it was like 15 or maybe even 16. I don't know since last I checked. There's not that much going on in America. Here's a couple things about this. So I am wondering whether or not, first of all, this theory about whether it is a race-specific situation. People talk about bioweapons. It can be a bioweapon or it cannot be a bioweapon. I think that the it, it doesn't really matter. It, what matters is if this so-called ACE2 receptor, which is what the virus latches onto, and different races have different uh, ACE2 counts, and so it may be more impactive to some races than others. And this is extremely anecdotally. I, I've been looking for this, but haven't se- seen too many examples of it. There was a woman an American on this cruise ship who did an interview with C, uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Network, I think. And uh, she said that she got coronavirus. She didn't even know she had it. She was completely asymptomatic. The only reason that they found out is because she got sort of selected to get her cheek swabbed because she said that she had taken some aspirin, and which was uh, apparently some trigger for them to, to swab her or whatever. So she got tested, even though she wasn't even feeling any symptoms. And now she's cleared and went through the whole thing without ever being symptomatic. So that can mean, but but that's not necessarily a good thing. What that means is that we could all have it and not be symptomatic or very mildly symptomatic, but yet be these crazy super spreaders. We could be spreading it to everybody in the world. And that's dangerous because the whole scare about these kinds of viruses is that they can mutate and then they will figure out a way around our situation or whatever. I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt because I've seen some stuff to say the ACE2 receptor thing isn't even a deal. Uh, some studies are coming out saying that it's equal and all this other stuff. So basically right now we just don't know. And that's only me trying to make sense of what I'm seeing in China versus what I'm seeing in other countries and it not making sense. But I think part of that can be this extremely long, weird thing with the 24 days slash getting it twice. Basically, 
there's a long time before it's spreading to everybody, before it starts to kill everybody. That's a possibility too. I don't know. Let's pretend right now it's only going to affect China. It's never going to come to America and the rest of it is is fine. But it is killing a lot of Chinese people in, in that, that part of the world. And at the very least, that's going to drastically affect the economy. Okay, move, moving on to the other part, which is revolution in China. And I think this is the reason I've been following this so closely is because, okay, so China has been in hot water for a little while. Obviously, there's this evil draconian state, right? They, they, they have concentration camps. Uh, for all kinds of people, re-education camps, and the people are starting to resist the Chinese government. Uh, we saw in Hong Kong, now Hong Kong, of course, is basically the mentality of the British for the most part. I mean, their culture is mostly British culture. It's really Hong Kong culture, it seems like, but uh, they have a lot of British influence. So there is a little bit of freedom going on there, the, the liberty thing in Hong Kong. And we, of course, we saw all the Hong Kong protests and we, I always wondered like how the rest of China was was thinking about that. You know, I, I didn't even know if they were even seeing anything about that on their social media. I assume most of it was being blocked or censored or whatever. Uh, but China is very resilient about things like VPNs and different things to cloak their IP address so they can uh, get online and whatever. I assume that there's a, a nice little underground network in China about getting information. I bet it's it's a lot more interesting than we think it of. Think of it. Where there's a will, there's a way with internet is my thinking. And I think that's starting to prove itself a little bit with some of what we're seeing from China. In addition to the Hong Kong thing, I think it was just a piece of the puzzle. I wonder if the Hong Kongers were like, you know, I think Hong Kongese, Hong Kongese, I don't know. But the if they were wondering how much effect this was going to have, you know, if this is going to spark any flames in the rest of China. And I think it might not have except for this coronavirus situation. So there's a lot of factors going on here. Number one is the economic situation. China was, everybody knows it's this awful state, but there's kind of this, this trust thing with China where it's like, we're going to give you continued economic prosperity as as low grade as that can be in a communist country but they're going to give you safety and and a little bit of economic security and, and growth in exchange for you doing what we say so there's a little bit of trade-off there and if the and if the government's not doing its part then the the fires of revolution start to be uh, kind of kindled that started to happen with oddly enough uh, a pork crisis um with swine flu uh I don't understand this as much as I should have to talk about it, but basically a lot of the Chinese economy is based on pork. They had to kill off half their population. There's some awful videos of that online. Please don't look it up. The issue is that they their economy was in dire straits already before any of this because of the swine flu situation. Uh, and then, of course, we had the tariff situation with uh, Trump, and that put a, even more pressure on them economically. I mean, it was it was getting pretty bad over there already. Uh, and then, of course, you have this situation. And there's a lot of factors with this. Number one, probably in this is this idea of family members dying and not being able to be buried. My understanding of the Chinese culture is that it is extremely family-oriented, number one. And also extremely burial-oriented. I've heard a lot of stories in, in the past, not even about this, but just about how important uh, burial is in the Chinese mindset. It's a very big deal, and families are a big deal. 
if you think about it, if you lived in a communist country, it would be a big deal. It's like you're really only allies, the people you can trust and all these other things. So not only do they have their entire family dying, uh, but they're not able to bury them because their bodies get whisked away to be burned. And uh, it's it's starting that alone is kind of putting them to the tipping point. I think you have the crackdown is making people crazy in terms of locking them into their houses and all this other stuff. But it's really the social media stuff and starting to, you know, get into the conspiracy stuff a little bit on the WeChat and the various social networks that they're starting to see. You know, they have basically this martyr, this uh, this Dr. Lee, that was one of the ones that warned them about this very early on. And uh, he was he was silenced by the government. He later uh, went back into the hospital and died with the disease. And he became something of a martyr that had sort of a rallying point around him. But here's the thing. What I've been really interested in online is these uh, these videos about that are, that are sparking revolution. And so you've got these people that are making these impassioned speeches about revolution. And I've been there's been maybe three or four really good ones uh, that I've seen so far. And one last night I saw was the best one I've seen yet. And one of the things that strikes me about this, and this these are people that are speaking up, not just about the that the government should have told them about this beforehand. There was a basically a conspiracy about it, and they they should have been. But they're also talking about the the Communist Party in general, the Chinese Communist Party, and in declaring it to be an evil government, and declaring that they want freedom and they don't want to be censored, and they want justice, and they don't want to be sent to the concentration camps, and they don't, you know, and you're, and they're the thing that gets me is they know this is a death sentence. They know that they're going to be found out, whether it's facial recognition, their IP, whatever, people ratting them out. So, yeah, there's there's these people know that they're going to die for this for the most part. The ones that I know of that have done this, Feng Bin is one. Uh, he he got taken away, I think, two, three days later. And he was he said, look, I'm going to put out a video every morning. So, you know, they haven't taken me yet. But but the way that they say this is so true and so filled with the knowledge of their certain death that makes you recognize what the importance of martyrdom in general is. I will, I will say, I'll, I'll post it on BibleProphecyTalk.com, this video that I'm talking about. I'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes for this episode because it's one of the best ones. Yeah. And she wasn't even wearing a mask. So, and what she, she even said, look, my parents are dying right now. Uh, I'm here locked down in this place. I'm probably going to die too. I know they're going to get me, but here's what she says. And she just lays it out there. If that video ever gets on WeChat or these other social media networks, where I'm sure is where it came from, it's going to spark a revolution. Now, the bad thing about that, obviously I'm pro-revolution in China. Bad thing is a revolution in China, as much as they're probably perceiving the Chinese government to be weak here, it's going to be a bloody mess if they if they try any kind of real revolution in China. But I would love to see it happen. I mean, I think I would love to see some justice and some good in the world. I, I have uh, tend to be a little bit pessimistic in terms of uh, getting any justice and have basically written off any kind of uh, truth or justice to be uh, much in stock commodities these days. So I would love to see it, but I am under no illusion that it would also come at a cost. Okay, so let's jump into Bible prophecy. And I've already said that I don't think that this uh, current virus has anything to do with Bible prophecy. So let me show you why I don't think that. So there are two places in the New Testament that speak of a pestilence that will be evident in the end times. Uh, the Olivet Discourse, which includes Mark 13, Luke, and Matthew 24, all of which are parallel passages, but speak of a pestilence. And then in Revelation chapter 6, and I think it is the 
fourth seal. We'll look at that uh, in just a minute to, to make sure. There are two pestilences, and I think they're actually the same pestilence as we're going to see. There's an extreme one-to-one -one parallel between the birth pangs and the seals in Revelation. This is accepted by a lot of different scholars, including pre-tribulational scholars like John MacArthur, uh, but it's pretty well accepted that there's a parallel between the Olivet Discourse and the seals. Uh, then there is a school of thought that we've talked about in other podcasts that these birth pangs, and when I speak of birth pangs, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of the things that Jesus said when they first asked him, hey, tell us some signs of what it's going to be like before you return. And he starts off and he tells them this, this list of things that we're going to see parallel Revelation 6. He said He's very emphatic that these signs that he mentions first, they're not the actual signs. We'll get to those later. These are sort of just the beginnings of birth pangs. People saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nations will, or nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, all these are but the beginning of birth pangs. So in many ways, what this comes down to is when you believe these birth pangs occur in relationship to the final seven-year period. Uh, and there are two schools of thought, basically, and uh, it really doesn't matter what your position on the rapture is. Some pre-tribulationalists take it one way, some take it another way, and same with some of the other positions. It's, it's not necessarily dependent upon your rapture position, how you take this, but it does tend to, uh, pre-tribulationalists, for example, tend to favor this view that I'm about to explain, popularized probably by John Walvert. I'm sure there's somebody else that popularized it, actually, but he's the one that I know of. And basically he says that these birth pangs, these first signs have been going on for 2000 years. Uh, basically since the time of Christ, the end of days has been, and I agree that, you know, you can make a case that the so-called end of days is also has been going on since Christ, but that's not the same thing as saying that these birth pangs begin since then. But that's his position that these have been going on for 2000 years. It makes these, as I've said in a recent podcast, very generalized. I mean, obviously, you can say with authority that any pestilence that you see, any famine that you see, the Irish potato famine in this situation was a Bible-based famine. I mean, that's what you get to say. And I've often said that's what made people like uh, Hal Lindsey and Jack Van Empey able to have weekly shows and have content because they got to say any war that was happening with Serbia or whoever got to say this war in Serbia was what the Bible talked about. Because if we look here in Matthew 24, you can see that it talked about wars and rumors of wars. And, uh, you know, the good ones will say things like, you know, the, these are not necessarily a, a big deal. They've been going on for 2000 years. They need to basically explain that it, it's basically meaningless. Yes, I'm going to tell you this is what the Bible was talking about, this war in Serbia or this minor famine in Africa or this uh, 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 pestilence of SARS or, or swine flu. Yes, that's what the Bible talked about because the Bible says there was going to be famine in the end times. We're technically in the end times. That's technically a famine. There you go. That's in the Bible. But the good ones will say, but that's basically meaningless because, because really that's the interpretation that this now means is that all these things are meaningless. They would argue, well, what, it's kind of like birth pangs and these things will increase in frequency and intensity. So we should see more earthquakes and more famines and they should all get bigger and, and badder as time goes on. And maybe that might, I've seen them make that case for like uh, earthquakes or whatever, but certainly that hasn't been true with famines and, and pestilence. Those things have been far worse in ancient times. And I would argue wars and rumors of wars too, but then I guess, I guess you'd have uh, World War II and you could make some kind of 
really boring argument about that if you wanted to. But but my argument is not about, I don't think you can make out of Matthew 24 alone, I don't think you can tell when this happens in relationship to the final seven-year period. I think you can make an educated guess, my guess, and the view that I think uh, a, a lot of good pre-tribulationalists hold, certainly a lot of pre-rathers hold, I think pretty much all pre-rathers hold uh, some variation of this view, that these birth pangs are actually things that will only begin and be a part of the final seven-year period. The reasoning behind that, the sort of proof text for that view, really comes with understanding the parallel in Revelation 6. And I've already talked about this in a podcast, so I'm going to try to blow through this a little quickly, but I do want you to recognize that why uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident in this view and why I think you should be as well. So Revelation 6 talks about the seals. I open the first seal, open second seal, third seal, etc. The, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are those first four seals. Again, it's, it's widely understood to be a connection between these things and everything that's mentioned in Matthew 24. And so there's plenty of charts you can check out online to see what I'm talking about here if you want to be convinced of this. So really quickly though, the first seal also is the first apocalyptic rider here, and he comes out in a white horse and he is has a bow and a crown. He's coming out conquering and to conquer. These the, the Antichrist going out conquering and to conquer. A lot of people think he's a man of peace. He is not a man of peace. He is a man who basically takes over the world with war. Uh, that's what the Bible says about the guy, not a peaceful guy. Uh, nevertheless, that's also what the first birth pang is, is false Christ deceiving people. You know, right there, that seems like we have a match. Uh, the second seal is a uh, the red horse. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The next thing in the birth pang is the wars and rumors of wars. So we start to get a sense that these birth pangs that Jesus mentioned weren't just random. You can't take one out of order that they might very well be in order to the things that Jesus said. And I think that's what we see here when we compare scripture with scripture. So we have the, the next seal, the third seal is the rider on the black horse. And he has a pair, a pair of scales in his hand. Uh, the voice says a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and don't harm the oil and the wine. So this is clearly a picture of famine. And that is the next thing after wars and rumors of wars and the birth pangs is a mentioning of famine. So it becomes pretty clear here that we're dealing with an order of events. And it's also a logical order of events. That's something I want to get across. And we'll see that with the next one, which is pestilence. Okay, so the next seal is the pale horse. Uh, he's given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So this one is pale. It does mention pestilence, but it does mention famine as well. Now, I want to say a couple things about this. First of all, it's this order of events. If you think of famine being the, the horse before it uh, and then pestilence next, of course, that makes sense uh, because if there was famine, people would be possibly eating things they wouldn't normally eat, uh, lower immune systems. There's a I'm sure you could probably even look at history and see that pestilence follows famine uh, fairly closely in the order of events. I would also say in the same way that the first seal follows the second seal. If you've got a go guy going out conquering and to conquer, you're probably going to have wars and rumors of wars after that. Now, in my opinion, this is where these seals stop being about the birth pangs and they kind of go cross that threshold of the midpoint where the Antichrist sits in the temple, declares himself to be God, and then apparently begins to, uh, to persecute uh, people in the greatest persecution that ever has been begins at that time as well. So that's when we kind of cross over into this midpoint 
Uh, and that's what the other seals seem to be about. The fifth seal is talking about the martyrs, the people that are killed, I believe, as a result of the fourth seal. When these uh, these beasts who that were there, Styron, which is used to uh, to describe the Antichrist and false prophet and the rest of uh, uh, the book of Revelation, but that's another story. But the point is that the fifth seal is post three and a half years. So we're now in the second half of the seven year period. And then the sixth seal lines up perfectly with Matthew 24, 31. The sixth seal is the so-called celestial disturbance sign, the moon uh, becoming as blood, the sun like sackcloth, the stars falling from heaven in an earthquake. That same sign that Joel talks about way back in Joel 2, 31, that it would happen before the day of the Lord. We see that exactly in Matthew 24, as well as Revelation 6. That's kind of the, the key that makes you know you're on the right path. Now, your only alternative at this point, if you want to say that these two passages aren't linked, is to say, oh, well, there's going to be two signs from Joel that are going to be the same thing. Uh, earthquake with stars falling from heaven and the moon turning into blood and the sun is a sackcloth. That happens twice. That's what you have to believe if you don't believe this parallel. And I think that's really when it gets, comes down to you got to believe this parallel. And if you believe this parallel then you believe that the Antichrist is the same thing as the first thing that Jesus said in the birth pangs, which is there will be false Christs and they will deceive many. I could talk about why I've talked about why that he says plural there and the Revelation 6 seems to be about the Antichrist, one false Christ. Well, we know Matthew 24 is talking about the Antichrist anyway. I mean, he doesn't come out of nowhere and sit in the temple of the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. The, the, the Antichrist is in view in the first three and a half years too. Uh, but I do think that many false Christs are going to be there. There's going to be a lot of, especially at the beginning, messianic expectations. I think that's all you need to know about this. We know that this is a very Jewish context. Daily sacrifices will be going on. They'll, they'll only stop at the midpoint. So that first three and a half years, it's all about daily sacrifices, which is a huge situation, obviously. A temple is there. Daily sacrifices are going on. And what we know about that from history is that whenever there's a lot of messianic expectations, there's a lot of messianic pretenders showing up, raising their hand, saying, I'll be the Messiah, you know. So I, I think that's all that is. Uh, but the Antichrist is one of those. Nevertheless, the implications of that for our pestilence thing is this, that the pestilence that the Bible speaks about is in connection to the famine. And the famine is probably in connection to the war that comes before it. And the war that comes before it is in connection to the Antichrist that shows up. So you've got the Antichrist, you've got the wars, you've got the famine, then you have the pestilence. There's no scenario as far as what I'm reading here that you have a pestilence that essentially causes the rise of Antichrist or whatever. And to these people who insist that the birth pangs have been going on for the last thousand years, and that's just their theology. And then that leads them to be able to put out the uh, the, the the weekly podcasts or whatever it is to say, hey, this new war, that's, a, that's Bible prophecy. That's fine, I suppose, and can be harmless as long as you're good and you say, well, you know, this is also meaningless. Uh, here, here's another famine. Here's another pestilence that's just very general. They've been going on. The potato famine was one of these things. And I keep bringing that up because it was so severe. So many people died. It was absolutely miserable. You know, those people thought it was the end times, but in the grand scheme of things, it was nothing. It was a footnote. It was completely irrelevant to our lives. The thing I'm trying to say is that those people that are good try to explain that to their listeners. But really what their listeners who don't have any of this context in mind have heard is they, they've heard you say that this famine or this pestilence or this earthquake 
or this war that is happening in the news right now is what the Bible was talking about. This war, this is what the Bible was talking about. So now the person believes that they are in the end times because they heard you say that this uh, virus is part of the pestilence that was spoken of in the Bible. So they're going off and telling people that are listening to them, hey, this is in the Bible. What we're seeing right now, this is in the Bible, man. And maybe that does some good somewhere. God can use anything for good, and it's not that bad. But, but at the bottom line is that they're wrong. The Bible wasn't talking about this virus. The Bible wasn't talking about the the war in Serbia or whatever Hal Lindsey was saying back in the day on the, on the TV, you know? And, and so I guess I'm just trying to say at the, you have to settle this issue in your mind of whether or not the birth pangs have been going on for 2000 years, or if there's something that are going to only begin at the uh, beginning of that seven year period. And they're not talking about uh, any old pestilence, any old war, any old uh, uh, famine, but very specific ones associated with the Antichrist and his rise to power. Uh, but one thing is for sure, according to the seals, they seem to be connected to one another and are certainly chronological. That's what the seals tell us, is that you can't take these out of order. You have first seal, second seal, third seal, etc., and they culminate with your fifth, sixth, and seventh seals being definitely past the midpoint. I would say probably that four seal is, is a little bit right at the midpoint too, but that's another story as far as how you want to parse the seals and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I know I've ranted a lot in this podcast. I didn't really mean for it to even go this long. Real quick, everything's going well on the Pre-Rath Movie uh, podcast. Our donations are, I think we're at 90% of our goal. Exceedingly thankful to everybody out there that has donated for that. We're really working to make this thing a really great movie. We've interviewed five great names. We've got one more for sure to interview and maybe another one, but we're really excited about it. I hope to be able to explain it all to you soon, um, but just know I'm working as hard as I possibly can to not only get all the, the wheels turning and the right people doing the right jobs for all this stuff, but also uh, in the writing of the script and to make it as good as it possibly can. Okay, thanks for everybody uh, listening, and we'll see you next time. BibleProphecyTalk.com. Bible